Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. If you want to highlight the major strides made by the bartending community over the last few decades, you need only look at a drink like the Long Island iced tea and how it was being prepared, say, 20 years ago. A hypothetical bar manual from that time might read, pour a stupid amount of multiple spirits over crappy ice in a pint glass, add sour mix and coke from a gun, garnish optional, probably not advisable, and Bob's your uncle, away you go. Now I don't doubt that you can still find such abominations out there, perhaps even on Long Island itself. But my point is that this drink has historically broken all of the rules that have since been pioneered by the cocktail renaissance. Has the Long Island iced tea's reputation suffered because of that? You betcha. But can it, therefore, actually be a decent cocktail when prepared with more exacting standards? Today's guest says yes. That individual is Nicholas Bennett, the beverage director of New York City's Porchlight. And Nicholas is someone who's explored this cocktail in every possible guise, from four-bottle free pours to carbonated cola syrup spiked draft pools. And today, he's asking us to give it another chance. Things are about to get L-I-I-T lit, listener, because we're talking Long Island iced teas, and this is the Cocktail College Podcast. Let's do it. Good? Yeah. Nicholas Bennett here in the Vine Pear Studio. Nicholas, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me by. I'm very excited to talk about today's drink, which is the Long Island iced tea. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> I think this is going to be a real fun one. Starter question here for you, though, quasi related to the drink, but not really. Bring it on. As a British transplant here, I've never understood why we say on Long Island. Oh, great question. Uh, I don't think I have an answer for you on that one. That's, that's <laughs> Is that a much like a cliche thing? Like, I just, I just don't get it. It was that and waiting online. I came across that the first time I visited the CVS and it came on the announcement or something. I'm like, why is it not waiting in line? Is that not what the rest of the world, British-speaking world, English-speaking world says? I don't know because my freedom. That's why. That's exactly <laughs> But so we are on the, the, the Cocktail College podcast here talking about the Long Island iced tea. Talking on the Long Island iced tea. Talking That's what we're on. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we begin? Let's talk about, I mean, I don't know if do you want to do you want to jump into any of the history of the drink or even maybe more importantly, just like the cultural significance well, of this drink, right? Uh, well, the, the history we can kind of like go through a little bit. There's, yeah. it's, there's not a whole lot of like hard-boiled history to it there's like there was one that's on the betty crocker book i think that uh kind of fits into the long island iced tea history um and then uh some uh some bartender with the last name butts i can't remember can't remember his first name mm-hmm. in the 1970s claims to have invented it for a <laughs> triple sec competition right uh which by the way as a quick aside 
that's weird because as we'll get into this, like this ingredient, this this drink has eight ingredients, right? <laughs> has so like all of them. <laughs> way to bury the lead right there. Like, oh, I'm right. creating a triple sec drink with seven yeah. other constituents. Exactly. That's the, the competition was all about triple sec. This is what's going <laughs> to win your competition is triple sec. So let's put everything else in there. Uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, having done a few competitions, yeah, I can kind of get that. I do. Yeah, yeah. Just, what else can we put in there? I'll put that in there and this. Oh my God, what else do we have? But like, <laughs> that's the, I think that was the most um, interesting part about it is the fact that it wasn't necessarily a an ingredient that would, um, was difficult to make. It was so recreatable. Uh, like globally, it was recreatable. And that's mm -hmm. why in the 70s, maybe it was just, a one-off place and popular in a couple of bars, but by the 80s, it was known the world over. And I think that's absolutely fascinating about a cocktail that literally uses all like triple sec, cola, sour mix, and then <laughs> vodka, gin, yeah. rum, and tequila. For good like measure. Like everything. So <laughs> the fact that it's so world-renowned and known, like loved or hated, whatever you want to say about it, it's it's recreatable and everyone knows it. Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing, I think, for uh, for bars and for bartenders to be able yeah. to like, appreciate something that everybody knows and everybody wants and everybody can make. Do you remember the first Long Island iced tea that you had yourself? Ooh, uh, no, I don't think no. I do. Uh, <laughs> I definitely had a few. Yeah. Uh, I definitely don't really remember <laughs> the the scenario around them, though. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I started bartending in... in early 2000 uh, at a at a like a local uh, sports bar yeah. out in the Hamptons. I've been bartending for about 20 years. Um, and it, that was, like those are one of the first things that I learned how to make those like- Would you sell a lot of them then? Oh my God, yes. Yeah? So many. I, I was out in, I grew up out in the Hamptons, okay. like way out on Eastern Long Island. That's on Long Island. On, right, like, right. on Long Island, oh, right. yes, yeah, yeah. for sure, <laughs> on Long Island. Um, and the bar was a sports bar and we had a lot of like, uh, it, I mean, it became like a summer hotspot yeah. at Sag Harbor and everybody comes out there during the summer and we would just get crushed with people coming out, just going to the beaches and hanging out. And I like just learned the, the four bottle pickup, just turn up, turn all four of them and then pour right into the glass. So that's how you do it. I wanted to ask about that because we're going to get into like your version. And, and I love mm. the fact that this is a drink that you've really looked into and you've been like, well, it's an iconic drink. Everyone knows it, but we can make a high quality version of that. So oh, I absolutely. can't wait to get into that. All but right. that's the technique. So if you're making it in the sort of like the classic method, right? You would pick up four bottles at once. And that's oh my what God, you're... yeah. So like, I mean, like we're talking classic, classic, yeah. build in the glass style uh, <laughs> uh, of just like the dark ages style of bartending. Like you yeah. just pick up everything, no measurements, just Don't waste count it all out, jigger. unnecessary. <laughs> I mean, it would be a waste of time given yeah. how fast you wanted to get this out <laughs> and how fast someone wanted to drink it. Yeah. So you do the four bottle pickup, then you're like, then your your splash of triple sec, your splash of sour mix <laughs> from the gun and your splash of cola from the gun. Yeah. And like send it on its way in a pint glass. Like we're talking as big as humanly possible. Uh, <laughs> and That's it brilliant. was, I, it, people would just crush them. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it was fun and people were having a great time. And like, I, I remember those moments very, very fondly as a bartender. Like those nights where, I mean, I walk out with a thousand dollars in cash, like in wow. my hand at the end of the night, uh, exhausted, but just like riding high. And then inevitably like, 
go to whatever other bar in town was still open and, <laughs> and just and crush a couple of Long Island ex- ice Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throw back a few shots and a beer and then wake up on the beach some re- for some reason. I don't know. Oh my God. Yeah. Sounds amazing. <laughs> I'd be 20 again. Yeah. Oh, and I love the fact as well that, yeah, like you, like we said that this is a drink that you've, that you've dialed into and created a high quality version of, um, it feels like now too, we're, we are in this kind of nostalgic moment where for we're sure. looking right at drinks oh, sure. that yeah. previously had some time in the sun and maybe haven't. Like, do you think? Do you feel like that's that's the case? Absolutely. I mean, like, we're one of the best things about having being uh, a bartender for as long as I have been. I've gotten a chance to really see a lot of this wonderful, wonderful evolution. I mean, we're talking the end of the '90s. Didn't really see a whole lot of like. I mean, great cocktails were uh, being made around that time, but like, it, like they were few and far between. And then obviously the 2000s hit and like we get Milk and Honey yeah. and Death and Company and PDT and Angel, uh, Angel Share has been around for a while longer, but like some really spectacular cocktail bars. And it really helped us all dial in how to make a great cocktail and the right kind of ingredients to use for all of them. Um, but at the same time, we didn't have a ton of them. Like we had, there were great spirits. Yeah. There were great, uh, you could always do fresh juice and we always learned how to make a great simple syrup and use all the different sugars that were to make syrups out of them and all the other sweeteners and, and all the techniques we started re, uh, uh, re, uh, learning ourselves. And then just going back through everything that makes a great cocktail. We all had to really relearn all that. Um, yeah. and as, bartenders we had to kind of shun all of the stuff that helped us forget all of that in the first place and that's a lot of those like sour mix and just building in the glass and and not using jiggers not using jiggers <laughs> not I measuring mean, like, things like yeah just like free like i mean there's there are great bars that free pour and yeah. i 100 respect them I, I i need to jigger in order to be able to get my cocktails consistent i want all my bartenders to do that as well um so we stand by that technique at porch light mm-hmm. and it's just one of those one of those things that you had to like re practice and relearn yeah um and and then we came out with great cocktails like the penicillin i mean obviously i didn't come up with that one obviously but god i wish i had yeah. um <laughs> absolute banger of a drink <laughs> that one um and things like the long island iced tea got pushed to the wayside and mm-hmm. and for uh, for very good reasons, obviously. Well, it sounds like all the things that you're discussing there that basically the, the, the bartending community re-embraced were all rules that the, basically the Long Island Iced Tea broke, Immediately, right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shattered they them. Shattered them. Like, <laughs> don't dial in what spirit. Just throw everything you possibly can in there. Sour mix, splash yeah, of Sour this. mix, not fresh juice, right? No one's, no one's measuring. Yeah, building build glass. It. Who cares huge, about the ice? Yeah, no, no, no one cares about any of it. Just get in, get in front of a guest. Um, and, but like, if you stop to really think about the Long Island iced tea, like you can actually recreate that into something that is, yeah. that is delicious. I like if you measure out your ingredients and start to really hone in and dial in the, the flavor profiles in all of them, mm-hmm. like there's great flavors in gin that pair really well with rum and tequila. Not going to lie about that. There are some really great fra- uh, flavors that you can do like the vegetal qualities in tequila with the, the herbaceous gin. Like there's some really, really cool things you can do about all of that. Yeah. Um, but if you measure it and you pay attention to, to those levels, there's a great cocktail out of that. Yeah. Use some fresh citrus 
And then there you are. Like that's nothing. That's not different than your standard sour. Honestly, if you like maybe a little bit more than just a splash of sour mix, like do like a full three quarters of an yeah. ounce and just do half an ounce across the board with all the other ones measured and then shake the whole thing. That's a great cocktail. Arguably, I would I would argue anybody that that's a great cocktail as long as you get the balance correct in there. So it's so interesting that you mentioned that because typically, you know, when we're starting out an exploration of a cocktail on this show, I like to ask guests like, what are you looking from the kind of perfectly executed version of this drink? And it's weird because we have spoken about the fact that maybe, you know, like the classic version of this drink, uh, the answer might just be booze. (laughs) (laughs) But where do you, so you, you touched upon it then, where do you think this cocktail can go in terms of like, yeah, like it's, it's highest quality version. And like, why, why is this deserving of a place on your menu that you have it on there? Well, uh, so one of the things that I love being able to do with the amount of uh, training and 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 uh, background in bartending that I've had is like I can take these cocktails that I've I have also I'm full disclosure have shunned a number of times in my career mm-hmm. been like oh I don't make those cocktails I even worked at bars that don't carry gin because or sorry don't carry vodka because of yeah. the fact that at a point bartenders didn't like vodka because it didn't have flavor or it was just like <laughs> no one it really didn't really do anything for the cocktail it does great things for the cocktail and guests want it mm-hmm. and that's what I I really started to recenter is finding things that I know that guests actually want mm-hmm. and guests want Long Island iced teas and they would ask us for them. So what we had to do is really figure out how we can make that in the best possible way yeah. at Porchlight. Um, and the first iteration of it was just your classic style, but we would measure everything out uh, and we would use uh, a really nice uh, cola made with cane syrup. Uh, we would make it with uh, fresh lemon juice, a great simple syrup that we make. It, I mean, great simple syrup, fi- uh, 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 one-to-one simple syrup. It's yeah. not greater than anybody else's, but we make it better than everybody <laughs> else. Not really. Um, and use the, the, the spirits that we have in our well and all of the spirits that we put in our well, we stand behind 100%. Yeah. Uh, and that's why they're in our well. Instead of it just being some lowest cost gin or tequila that we would just get because that's 10 bucks a bottle or something like that. Yeah. So we would spend as enough as much time figuring out what spirit goes into the well as what we'll figure out uh, as we will uh, to decide what goes into our cocktails. And that's and when it comes to the well, we're we're thinking what spirit works best across the board, right? Exactly. Is that what you're thinking there? Exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, we have uh, on our menu a, uh, a blend of rye that we use for our Manhattans mm-hmm. because I think that that's uh, the best option for us. Is not just a, one specific rye, it's two mm-hmm. that I think are delicious. Uh, and the same thing we do with our vermouth, but we want to make sure that our vermouth, we do a blend for our vermouth, but we, but we want to make sure that it's... Uh, Uh, It makes sense for every single cocktail we're going to use it in. That's amazing. Yeah. And so looking at those ingredients then, and I don't typically have to do this, but I have written them down here because there's a a ton, right? So just to reiterate, we have vodka, gin, tequila, rum, triple sec, simple syrup, lemon juice, and Coke. Yes. So A, that's a lot. That is a lot. B, let's look at spirits first. Sure. Well, uh, so what I I do want to... Uh, just dial back on that one. The current 
version of the Long Island iced tea that we serve at Porchlight is actually on draft. Yes. So, yes, but we're going to go with the, the first version, these ones where we do the simple syrup and the fresh lemon juice. Okay, right? okay, yeah. So we, we'll chat about, yeah, and we can chat about that draft yeah, we'll version after. Yes. But when it comes to that template mm-hmm. with, with, you know, four base spirits and then on top of that triple sec, where do you first? Like, which is the, is there an anchor to this drink? Like, where are you looking first? Or is it, are you trying to think somehow of four different, components that will work together it's the 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 triple sec actually we're gonna go back to <laughs> to butts uh competition there it's actually i i'm not a huge fan of just straight triple sex i think they kind of come off a little bit sweeter a little yeah. bit less uh fresh uh citrus flavors on them so what we actually use is cointreau okay. uh, instead of it just being a, a sweetening orange liqueur. Like mm-hmm. we actually use, like I think Cointreau brings a drier quality to the cocktail and a lot more of that like bitter orange and it makes a cocktail that much better. So we do about three quarters of an ounce when we're, ma- when we're building the cocktail of actual just straight Cointreau. And then that with three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice and half of an ounce of simple syrup. Okay. And I feel like that sets the groundwork for this cocktail to be a really balanced cocktail because then on top of that it still makes it pretty boozy i mean Cointreau is not yeah 12 percent abv it's 40 percent. so it also um then on top of those we just basically build out another two ounce of spirit and then you have more or less your basic sour spec yeah uh you're not adding any aged ingredients to the cocktail so you're really just all clean not neutral spirits but like baseline flavors yeah your vodka doesn't necessarily add a ton of flavor but it definitely adds body to it because you have your base alcohol in there uh gin brings a little bit of a vegetal quality you build on that with the tequila with that like kind of grassy uh um jalapeno flavor with the tequila we use um and then on top of that, you have the agave and the um, the uh, rum yeah. pairing really well together. So all of that kind of has a straight through line and a story that works well in a basic sour spec. Mm-hmm. And it tastes good. <laughs> like, I don't, I like, I, I, I argue anybody to tell me that that doesn't taste good. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a well-balanced, easy-to-make cocktail that hundreds and hundreds of people enjoy and who am I to tell them that it doesn't tell taste good like yeah. I'm a bartender I'm uh, I'm making cocktails for guests I'm not telling them what they should be drinking yeah I think that's amazing and so with the base spirits as well are you looking for you know brands or iterations essentially that just are true to their category right that and and not like too left field or maybe not also like don't stand out too much in a way. Exactly. I mean, like I like, uh, I want to use Appleton rum because it tastes great in a daiquiri and it tastes good in a Long Island iced tea. Like I'm, I'm looking for brands that work really well across the board. Like yeah. you, you, with gins get to be a little difficult only because some are better with a little bit more citrus uh, yes. and in a gin and tonic than they are in a martini but I mean, we use Spring 44 in our well, and it's it's a delightful gin, and it has a great amount of uh, juniper to really kind of fortify it, but yeah. uh, it doesn't taste 
worse in a martini than it does in a gin tonic. I'd actually like that one in both, uh, That's both awesome. versions. Yeah. And you don't, I, I imagine maybe with this too, like obviously all gin has to have the character of juniper, but you don't want it to be too juniper forward, something like that. Sipsmith release that they did, or even Junipero, like great gins, but maybe that stands out too much. I don't know. I It, it reminds me of um, being younger and not quite of a drinking age and having <laughs> uh, basically, you know, someone's house, their parents aren't there, we're, we're raiding the cabinet and what are we drinking? So we find some gin and we're mm -hmm. like, okay, gin and cola, disgusting. Horrible. Would oh, never go back terrible there. Idea. <laughs> also, you're probably free pouring it, so you're adding too much gin. Yeah. You probably had three too many. So you like your memory of it is worse than the actual experience of it, probably. And that's yeah. what everyone's like, that's everyone's problem with gin and tonics. I can't drink those. They just had like, poorly clean lines of tonic more than often right. and, and way too many of them. And then the next morning they're like, never having gin again. Yeah. Come, come back, join us again. The it's gin's so delicious. It's good, isn't it? But I definitely feel like, yeah, that, that juniper note, it, it can be very tricky and when it works, it's amazing. But yeah, maybe again, for this cocktail and, and some others, maybe you just don't want it too juniper. Right, forward. and that's why measuring it is so important because then you don't want one to pour higher than the other and suddenly it's out of balance. Mm -hmm. Like you want that, you really, like especially when you're using these many, this many ingredients, it needs to have that balance mm -hmm. straight through. It's that much more important in a Long Island iced tea. And I love that you have mentioned that this is essentially a sour and that's, before I'd never made that ball. connection. It's a, it's a, it's a sour it, highball. Yeah, no, no different than a Tom Collins. Yeah. I'm gonna get some angry letters about that one, though. <laughs> but I think Long, I think Long it's Island a great tea, way. just as good as a Tom Collins. <laughs> if Dear not diary, better. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so talk us through that first iteration at Porchlight sure. and and making it. So you know we've spoken about the ingredients, but maybe you can tell us about the the build of that and also like the technique, the, the ice and the, the glassware. What's that look like? Sure, I mean, we took it out of the pint glass and now we put it into a regular highball glass. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're dialing back that, the overall volume of the whole thing. Um, and then we're also measuring everything to the half ounce, to the quarter ounce, to the three quarters of an ounce. We wanna make sure that everything is balanced and it does, like it builds on the amount of time we're a volume bar so that much touching of the well does kind of grate on us a little bit during a busy service yeah unfortunately uh but that being said always want to get the best cocktail in front of everybody so we'll build it all into a shaker tin uh shake it over cold draft ice and then strain it into your collins glass and then top it with a little bit of uh the cola yeah, Again. and tell us about the cola that you would have been using then. Uh, are we talking Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or are we, because I know that- Coca-Cola coming out of the glass bottles. The ones that made with like cane syrup. It's absolutely delicious. I think it's that much better than just coming out of a can. Amazing. Yeah. I love- So much more body, like better bubbles. I, yeah. It's really, really nice. That's yeah. wonderful because as well, like how much of a factor is carbonation in this drink? Like, and what does it bring to it? Unfortunately, and this is where, this is the reason why I wanted to put it on draft is because it's it starts off as that kind of a cocktail that wants carbonation. Everyone like, oh, you add the cola to it for carbonation. You don't really add enough cola to it right. to carbonate it, but everyone assumes that it's a carbonated cocktail. So one of the things that we were able to do and why why I went to this like Long Island iced tea, air quotes 2.0, we don't call it that on our <laughs> menu. I just like the idea of calling it a 2.0 right now. 
first time I've done that, uh, is to actually carbonate the entire cocktail through the entire thing. Um, so instead of it being just this like flat sour over ice, we're able to using the techniques that we've learned over the years of bartending and, and, and have developed over the course of the past 20 years, uh, have really figured out how to carbonate well, carbonate our cocktails very well, uh, and then serve them on draft. So one of the, like, like I said, it's a lot of touches in the well. So let's speed that up. People wanted these cocktails really bad. So what we did is took the entire thing, batch it in a full keg and carbonate the entire cocktail. Wow. Uh, and, and it makes it that much more, um, porch light, which mm-hmm. feels really good for me. It makes it as it's a volume cocktail. Now we're pulling it faster. It gives us the opportunity to be a little bit more dialed in with the uh, ingredients, get to play around with those volu- the um, proportions even more. Yep. Um, and then get to play around with our syrups too. Our former executive chef, uh, Anton, he actually uh, wrote a book on uh, sodas. Really? So he had a bunch of syrups that we ended up improving on for this menu, for these... Uh, cocktails and we have a cola syrup that we use for it that uh actually doesn't use cola nut which is i I think always think a really fascinating thing um and then a citrus syrup so Mm -hmm. we kind of make our own uh lemon lime cordial with a touch of i had a touch of ginger to it as well just because it actually like builds on that entire flavor yeah uh so there we have i have all of those ingredients in there um the vodka gin rum tequila uh, the cordial cola syrup, the Cointreau, and all the dilution, and now the entire thing from top to bottom is carbonated. So when we pull it off of the draft, it comes out with beautiful bubbles and really delightful, and we can get it out in, uh, into a guest's hand that much faster. That's incredible. Um, so I have two questions for you about that. Bring it First on. of which, uh, the citrus syrup. So compared to using... Fresh citrus, obviously, yeah, like I'm imagining that wouldn't be some a possibility when you're putting things into kegs. So what does that look like? And how hard is that to maintain kind of like freshness and acidity? Because, yeah. So, well, we, uh, instead of it just being peels, we're actually zesting the lemon, lime, and orange. So we're wow. doing uh, everything from everything under the sun, except for a grapefruit, actually. Uh, and a little bit of ginger. And that kind of, that, that really does preserve that like fresh, fresh citrus flavor. We're not boiling it with the citrus on there, which kind of ruins it a little bit, I think, for me. Yeah. Um, and then we're adding a touch of citric and malic acid to it as well. So instead of it just being that like, citric acid bomb a little bit of malic hits your palate a little differently and it balances it out so it actually tastes a little bit more like fresh citrus yep um it also helps with the carbonation too your carbonation has a carbonation has a touch of acidity to it, it does, as well right yeah so all of that combined in the proper uh, in the in the right amount actually comes off as very nicely fresh citrus mm-hmm. so I, it really does make it uh that much better I think. and stable and not something you need to worry about. Exactly. You know, yeah, going Throw off. in the keg. It's pretty, it's good for, I would say two weeks, but it definitely doesn't last two weeks. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then, you know, you, you just kind of like off the cuff mentioned some facts about cola there. But I, 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 despite being a big fan of Coca-Cola, I know nothing about what goes into cola. So what is the, the essence of a, a cola syrup? The cola syrup that we make, uh, 
it, it it's a lot of spices. There's a lot of ingredients. It's, our barbacks like one of our their least favorite things to have to make. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, it's because it's it's got several steps to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we're talking citrus, allspice, um, nutmeg, uh, orange and lemon zest, uh, brown sugar, um, regular granulated sugar, a little bit of um, lavender in there as well. Uh, a couple of other ingredients that I, I, that are, I just can't remember off the top of my head. I, we have to keep it all written yeah. down, obviously. Um, and all, all of that is steeped uh, and then boiled and simmered for a little while. And it kind of reduces it a little bit. So it brings the bricks up just a, a, a yeah. hair. So it's not full uh, a one-to-one 50 bricks syrup. It's closer to like 55, 58, something along those lines. Um, and... And then it has to sit for 20 minutes to cool down because then they have to strain all that out. And if you're going to carbonate it, you need all the little like particles to be removed. Yeah. So that's a, a big issue. So that takes a long time as well. It's it's a very laborious uh, uh, syrup to make, but it's always, always worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Um, in the previous iteration, where, when you would be kind of building this drink in the glass. For sure. You use, you know, bottled cola, Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. In recent years, there has been something of a proliferation of, you know, mixer brands heading into that territory. For sure. Um, do you just think that Coke's is kind of one of those things like ketchup, right? Like it, it's so distinct, <laughs> right? It's so iconic right. that like when you try other labels, I don't know, like it stands out. Is that, was that your thinking there when you're going for that versus say, yeah, like one of these bartender focus brands? More or less. I mean, Fever Tree makes a, a, yeah. a really good cola, uh, a really good cola. Um, but then you get like Tab or whatever else still exists out there. Like there's, there Coca-Cola, I mean, you do the side by side with Coke and Pepsi. I mean, you know which one's Coke, which one's Pepsi immediately. So it's one of those things like, yeah, you you kind of, it it's it is kind of the king brand. If it calls right. for a Coke, you kind of have to use Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, there's no way around that, yeah. I think. <laughs> uh, or you go in the complete opposite direction like you're doing yourself, which is like make exactly. it yourself exactly. and then really dial in because you know all of the other constituents of the drink. Exactly. Yeah. We also finish the cocktail off with a couple dashes of Angostura on top. So the way that your your old school Long Island iced tea has that like float of cola on top. Now mm. there's a that brown layer of ango on there, which also has a touch of those like baking spice notes that yeah. really give you that that right in the face uh, aroma of a Long Island iced tea. Mm. And I think it's absolutely delicious. Amazing. Yeah. And how much? So a couple of dashes you would be adding. Four that, dashes. Four dashes. Yeah. And that just sits on top there. And Floats you can right it. on top. The bubbles keep it all right up on top there. And then uh, that after that first sip, it really does kind of integrate through the rest of the cocktail. Mm-hmm. It's not the, it's not just like an Ango bomb right in the face, but. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And do you use uh, these, you know, like the kind of longer uh, like ice cubes or like, would you, or would you, if, if that were an option, I know that it's, you know, there's <laughs> cost considerations there. And Always whatnot. cost yeah. considerate. Uh, we, no, I actually don't think I would. I like the idea of, I like, we use cold draft yeah. uh, across the board. Yeah. I, I mean, we have pebble ice as well on our menu, but uh, for this cocktail itself, it's cold draft. Uh, we use, um, I don't know what they're actually called. We call them disco cocktails, mm-hmm. uh, but they're the kind of old school little Italian water glass style glasses with like a little stem, uh, about 12 ounces of volume on there, fit three cubes in there, and then just 
pull the whole thing on top of it. Amazing. Yeah. And any, I love and calling them disco glasses. I, I don't remember why we started calling them that, but that's stuck. And that's <laughs> always what we're going to call them. Perfect. <laughs> Seek those ones out. For sure. Um, any, any, what about garnish beyond Angostura? Are you, are you going for a lemon or anything or? So we do an orange, uh, kind of a little half moon. Yeah. Uh, full disclosure on that one. We used the orange pretty much only because at the time we had two other draft cocktails on there that had a lemon and a lime on there. We had a whiskey cola, which used lemon, uh, and we had a seven and seven, which used lime. And rather than confuse everybody, it was just like, put an orange on it. Damn. And it's great. I mean, it tastes great because it plays off of the, the, the Cointreau and that, the orange quality that's in there. Not like, not just like willy nilly throwing an yeah. orange in there. <laughs> like there's purpose to it. Uh, but that was also a major consideration for it. So yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's that's again like things that folks might not consider like as bar guests, but mm -hmm. as a bar running it. If if you're using you know the disco glass right there for those three <laughs> drinks, like how does the person running the drinks know which is which if they all have the same garnish and exactly. look the same? <laughs> exactly. So that makes a ton of sense. Um, are there any other are any other thoughts or kind of? considerations for the maybe the more classical style that people would be able to recreate at home or in their bars anything else that you'd like to share about the long island iced tea i would say i drink drink what you like honestly like if you don't like gin maybe take the gin out of it i don't think i would keep the balance uh forefront in your mind when you're trying to make these things at home um but don't be afraid uh, to play around with them at home as well. Like if you're not a fan of tequila, take the tequila out uh, and and like uh, replace it with vodka to start off because it's not going to really throw the balance of all the other flavors out of whack. Mm -hmm. um, or if you want to get super fancy with it, throw a little Grand Marnier in there so you have some some cognac and some more orange in there so it's not like completely throwing the recipe out of whack, but it's also right. building on it or throw uh, elements in there that do have some age on them, mm -hmm. like an, uh, an aged rum and aged uh, an Añejo tequila. Um, but essentially getting to that, that point of two ounces of total base I spirit. would focus, like start with that as your template. Yeah. Start with the two ounces of your base blend spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the rest of it, keep it pretty straightforward, sour specs. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can't really go wrong, honestly. <laughs> and shaking that for, is that more temperature, dilution, or both? Because, yeah, I'd imagine that... I would say all yeah. of the above. Yeah. All of the above, uh, like, you want to shake it all together to really incorporate all the flavors together. You want to shake it so you can uh, get the syrup and the citrus to mix um, you want to dilute it a little bit because if you're going to pour it over ice, you don't want to just have the ice that you're pouring it over suddenly immediately start diluting the cocktail. And then that kind of, then you have to keep stirring it and it doesn't really work out that well. Yeah. Um, and also it'll like, sure. There's a, there's a lot of alcohol in there. There's, I mean, it's not any more than like a Manhattan, honestly. So mm -hmm. I don't think you have to really worry about that, but it's easier to drink than your Manhattan, obviously. For sure. Uh, so you want to kind of dilute it a little bit. Um, 
Just to kind of like soften the blow. Yeah, and bringing <laughs> it down to temperature too, so that, like you said, when you're pouring it over the ice, yeah, and, it's a sour. Yeah. You want to make it. You want to. You want it to be a refreshing cocktail. You want to, it to be cold. Yeah, and I think exactly. that's probably where so many of them have gone wrong in the past, or that people might have had that where it's like room temperature over bad ice, just yeah. thrown back. Like no one wants that. <laughs> the booze just stands <laughs> out so much. That much more. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. <laughs> Uh, well, that's that's been a real fun discussion there about the Long Island iced tea. Um, it's great to like, see them yeah. out again. I like I like that people are making them well again, like and treating them like, with respect. Yeah, <laughs> and honestly, like uh, actually another like thing if you want, if you are making Long Island iced teas at home, everyone's talking about these infinity bottles right now. Just build one there. You have two ounces, easy pour. Don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah, because you know people have their kind of um, you know either maybe a mix of rums for their daiquiri exactly. or for their mai tai have your long island iced yeah. tea base spirit <laughs> right what one rum can't do three can what one one spirit can't do four can there we go <laughs> with some triple set for good measure <laughs> for sure amazing so now we're into the segment of the show where us and our guests get to know you a little bit more okay through our recurring weekly questions how are you feeling feeling Ready good to, yeah Amazing. All right, let's bring him on. So I'm going to start with the first question here for you. Um, what style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Um, at Porchlight, it's definitely whiskeys, and American whiskeys specifically. We we are the sister bar of Blue Smoke, uh, and we get a lot of... Uh, our develop, the Porchlight's inspiration uh, came a lot from the creators of Blue Smoke. So... We had a we have a very strong American whiskey backbone to our our spirit list, um, and then on top of that, I would say rums because I mean we're a bunch of bartenders there. Bartenders love our rums. Yeah, yeah, geeking out on that. Oh my and god, yeah, such an amazing category as well in terms of like the breadth and depth of it. There's exactly. so much on offer. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Question number two: Which ingredient or tool do you think is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Oh God, good question. Um, I would say, God, I don't, I actually don't know as, cause as of right now, like all of our tools are pretty well valued. Like everyone talks about the jigger. Everyone talks about the, the mixers and the shaker tins and how important they all are and how uh, important. I would say, honestly, I would say the most overvalued ingredient or uh, tool would be uh, the mixing glass. Mm -hmm. Like you can still make your cocktails in a cold pint glass, or honestly, in a in a tin as well. Like I don't see the nece the necessity for a eighty dollar mixing glass mm -hmm. uh, at a bar when you're gonna probably break it and have to buy a new one <laughs> like immediately after that. So that's, I, I would say that's probably the most overvalued one. I like it. First time we've had someone flip the question there. I enjoy it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> question number three, what's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Stay at a job longer than a few months. Honestly, like it takes, uh, I would say it takes about six months to really start to feel comfortable and confident in whatever role you're working in. Um, and I've worked with a lot of bartenders over the past 20 years who 
And and there's no, like, I'm not saying there's any shame to it because it does, uh, gives you the opportunity to learn from a lot of different styles and, and learn from a lot of different bars and see how a lot of wells operate. So I'm, I know that there's a benefit to doing this, but I've seeing, a, <clears throat> excuse me, seeing a bartender come in, work for three months and then move on to the next new bar has always kind of irked me a little bit. Um, and I would always say stay for at least six months because then you can really learn from the bar that you're in. And then you can see if there's much more growth for you in that bit, in that job. Mm-hmm. Um, plus it gives you, it just, as a, as a beverage director, it gives me the opportunity to see what strengths you have and where we can make, uh, a, a new employee and a new bartender or a bar back or a server really like where the, where we can start to educate them uh, mm-hmm. and where we can help to promote them from within. I, 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 yeah. So I would always say hold like stick it out for at least six months uh, because then you can really get a better sense of uh, your worth within the, the, yeah. the business. I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. And also just like, I know it's, 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 it's a different industry to say working in an office job or whatever, but also potential employers, they start to see, you know, those things on your resume, like you only did three months here, two months there, like for sure. Are they going to want to pick up this person if, if you know, they're only going to be there for two months. So mm-hmm. yeah. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Question number four, if you could only visit one last bar in your life, which one would it be? If I was going to visit one last bar, it would be the corner bar, the bar I started bartending at. It used to belong to my uncle. Uh, it's the first place I started attending bar at. It has a very, very like, warm spot in my heart for it amazing yeah and if you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last final question here what would you order or make this is taking a dark turn am i gonna die at the end of this interview (laughs) (laughs) quite morbid these last two questions (laughs) last cocktail honestly a pretty simple highball i would probably have it like uh, a bourbon with a ginger beer or a gin and tonic, uh, like simple, easy, like a daiquiri needs to be a little bit like I would, I would need to be in a warmer climate for yeah. that to be my last one or a martini would be nice, of course, but I don't think I want those to be my last one. I think my last one, I want it to be as simple, straightforward with good bubbles mm-hmm. uh, and a, a good spirit. I, I don't even know which spirit I would want it to be at this point. Uh, That's something fuss-free, highball. Exactly. Fuss-free. Uh, <laughs> and I like that term, fuss-free. Uh, and, and delightful. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, Nicholas, thank you so much for joining us on the show today and imparting some wonderful advice. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's go chug some Long Island iced teas. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, Vinepair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. 
Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Greenberg, art director at VinePair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.